It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the True Blue LA podcast. I'm Jacob Birch. With me, as always, is Eric Steven. Eric. Hello. The Dodgers are 45-21. and 21. They are in first place in the National League West, ahead by 11 games. That's a lot, Eric. Yeah, and um, they're in first place in the MLB and, as well. And, as and the, baseball. <laughs> right, the MLB, as people call it. Um, yeah, they, they're they good. Um, I feel weird because, <laughs> like, at some point last week, um, I believe, oh, yeah, it was the the second win in Arizona. So the Dodgers at that point had won seven straight. And, you know, over the years, uh, predictions are, are, are a fool's errand, you know, or like declarations because there, it doesn't serve anybody. Like, what are you going to, are you going to gloat that you had something right? That was so obvious. Like, but I was like, after that second win against the Diamondbacks, like I was just looking at the rest of the division and I've sort of thought this for a little while. But, like, in, in, I generally, in True Blue LA, in the comment section, it's, I don't know what started this, honestly, but uh, it's been a tradition of sorts that I always post the uh, the We Win photo from the end of Cheers, or maybe it's the beginning, I forget. Um, uh, old-timey photo with the guy holding up We Win. And that, that's just been sort of a tradition. Anytime the Dodgers win. So that I've been, I've kept it up, even though, like, I only write, like, once a week there. But, uh I, I try to add like sometimes a subject line just to like for a joke or something. But I, in this subject line, when I put the we win photo, I put the division or the National League West has been decided like, yeah, it, like it's over. And then I, I checked the timestamp and literally within seconds. And I didn't notice this to like a half an hour later, but purveyor of doom uh, and uh, Bob Nightingale um, 
tweeted out like congratulations <laughs> to the Dodgers on their on their seventh consecutive NL West, and I was like, oh no, like uh, and, and <laughs> fine like, if and you then, do it. And right, and here's the thing: like jinxes aren't real. I don't, I don't, I laugh at people who laugh at who are scared of jinxes or or anything like that. But at the same time, it's not that Bob Nightingale's a jinx. It's just he's just really bad at like tweeting. Like he he tweets in like this um this style that's so like absolute or or like um I don't know. He he assumes far too much, and he's wrong way a too lot. often. Like to do to be that certain of things. So like, and, and the fact that he just, I, this, the way like he talked, like I, there's more to the tweet. I don't, I don't even have it up, but I was just like, this is bad. And then of course they've lost like the next two games, but who cares? That's, it's irrelevant. They are going to win the division, but it was just like, I just felt like I, I had to do it at the exact minute that Bob Nightingale did it. It was like, Oh, that, that made me feel really bad. You know, we got so ingratiated by talking about how great, the Dodgers are. We forgot the Cody Bellinger update, right? And it's funny, like they're they're still sort of humming along. They won two series last week. We didn't record last week. On it was like a mix. Like I was not feeling well, but also it was like a mix of there wasn't like much to talk about. It was like the same old thing kind of. And I, I, we didn't really have a hook as much last week. This week we we have a lot of hooks and we're chock full of stuff. So I, it's kind of good that we took a week off. I think, but. Um, it's weird that while the Dodgers are still sort of humming along, like Cody Bellinger is kind of slumping right now. Um, so his, his, our, our Cody Bellinger pace update, he's back down to like human levels. Like um, he, right now he's on pace for 49 home runs and 132 RBIs. So like the 49 home runs would tie, tie a Dodger record, Sean Green. Uh, so it's not anything to sneeze at certainly, but it's not the like superhuman stuff that he was um, on pace for earlier. So it just shows goes to show you that season is a long time. Slumps happen. He's like he's over his last eleven as we record this on Monday. Um, four for twenty five to start June. Uh, he was walked intentionally three times on Saturday. So and we'll get to uh, that in a little bit because we're going to talk about sort of the byproduct of that and someone who sort of benefited from that. Um, but yeah, so he, he's slowing down. He's he's to the point where he he was leading like the majors in in most offensive categories for a long time. And then mostly leading the national league too, uh, just as he sort of waned down, but like now, like Christian Yelich has gotten hot again. So he's, he's passed him in some things. I think Cody uh, Bellinger as of Monday morning, was like leading in batting average and on base percentage, but uh, Yelich leads in a lot of other stuff. So uh, Cody Bellinger still having a very great season, obviously, but winding down a little bit and getting to more, um, sort of normal levels but we, we expected that but it's still still great he's he's just a good sport letting Yelich get back in there you know what you're right you'll see so let's go ahead and talk about you hinted at it Corey Seager looking like the Corey Seager of old Absolutely. and by old I mean you know 22 right. or 23 <laughs> right yeah he's still like on the, the far on the right side of 30 so like uh it's funny to talk about that you're right but you know, he, he basically lost like a year and a half of like productive baseball uh, with his elbow injury. He, he got hurt in like, uh, he start. I was looking back at the old like notes from 2017 and it started like, at a, he started feeling something like elbow soreness, I guess, in a series in Detroit uh, in August. Um, that was an eventful series because just parenthetically, like um, the Dodgers acquired Curtis Granderson that weekend 
they sent down a slumping Jock Peterson to the minors. And like uh, Justin Verlander, like no hit or nearly no hit them on Sunday, uh, right before he got traded and not to the Dodgers, uh, as you might have heard. Um, he got traded to some team. I forget what happened. Um, but um, that so like pretty much since then, like he w- he sort of slumped to end 2017. He actually had a, a non elbow injury. He had a back injury that he missed the NLCS uh, in 2017, but he played in the World Series. But then he uh, dealt with the elbow again um, during the spring of 2018, uh, played for about a month, and then he had Tommy John surgery and missed the rest of the year. So, And then he started out slumping this year. <laughs> so it was like, oh, man, is Corey, Corey Seager two-time – it was two-time All-Star MVP, uh, I think third-place finisher as a rookie, um, one of the best players in baseball, and he wasn't up to that level uh, until basically now, like – uh, since like the beginning of May, he's just been on fire. Um, this this last uh, weekend, like the Dodgers were on a road trip, he had at least one hit in every game. I think he had four multi hit games. Uh, he has a seven game hitting streak. He's reached base eighteen games in a row. Um, he was twelve for twenty six uh, on the road trip with nine RBIs. Uh, he had five doubles in that game that Cody Bellinger walked uh, was walked intentionally three times. Corey Seager was batting behind him. And was four for five and drove in four runs, <laughs> so did did not work as well as the Giants had planned. Um, although to, to the Giants' credit, somewhat like these weren't like automatic, like old school, like immediate in, intentional walks. I think every single one of them happened once Bellinger got a favorable count. Like I think all of them were like three zero or three one when they called for the intentional walk. So it wasn't like a complete like. Um, surrender at that point <laughs> to be bad. It was just like um, they realized they were in a disadvantageous position, so that's what they did. But yeah, so like Seeger, um, uh, what is he like? Uh, yeah, so since May first, three hundred three, three seventy five fifty five. So that's great. You Seager know, numbers. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. And and for me, like I think um, what I always look at for him, like he he's hit twenty over twenty home runs twice, um, and like it's funny, like. Uh, only one Dodger shortstop ever did that. And I'm talking about home runs as a shortstop. Hanley had a year where he hit 20, but he 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 had like one as a DH or something. So he had to get 19 as a shortstop. So it didn't count. But like entire franchise history, Dodgers had one shortstop at 20 home runs, and then Corey Seager came along and did it in his first two seasons. Like so, he's he's unique in like Dodgers history. Um, but so but I don't look at home runs for him necessarily. The home runs will come, and he has eight this year. That's fine. But he has 20 doubles. Um, he's always been a doubles guy. Like, he, uh, the first month he came up in 2015 in September, he hit eight doubles. Uh, that He hit 40 as a rookie. Um, he had 30 uh, heading into that fateful uh, weekend series in Detroit in 2017. And it was through, like, 110 games. So it's basically, like, the two-third mark of the season. So he's on pace for, like, over 40 doubles again in his second year. Um and then now this year he's he has twenty and he's on pace for forty nine doubles. So like that's that's where Seager is as a hitter when he's going well. He's going to rack up the doubles, um, and then the home runs will happen as well. But uh, yeah, just uh, it's been really uh, it's great to see. Like they they started out hot, you know, during the season without like Seager or Justin Turner really hitting, um, and now both Seager and Turner are hitting, and it really transforms that lineup into like a far, far more potent one. Dodgers had 
since we last recorded two really key home runs or storyline home runs that we should talk about. Do you want to talk about Will Smith or do you want to talk about Max Muncy first? Let, let's, I want to go, let's go Max Muncy first only because it's, it's fresh in my mind and it's, it's in my mind. And I wrote about it for SB nation on Sunday, but it, it's the quote of the year in baseball and it's not going to be topped. Like, um, it was it was hilarious and it was fun and I loved everything about it. Um, so I'll just we'll just set the stage here. Sunday, the Dodgers finished up a series in San Francisco. Um, they won the game one to nothing, and the one run was a first inning home run by Max Muncy, and that alone it was a splash hit, uh, which I think the Dodgers have had eight uh, in since um, Oracle Park, uh, the, now on its fourth name, has opened. It's been open for, this is its 20th season. Uh, Muncy has the last two of those. He, he did one in the last weekend of the season last year, too. Um, but that, that home run, first inning, was the only run of the game. As he's rounding first, um, Bumgarner, Madison Bumgarner was the pitcher. He was sort of jawing at him. Um, and then Muncy went back at him. And at the time, we just see the home run, and are like, oh, this is fun. Like, we have no idea what's happening. But then after the game is when the real magic happened because Max Muncy was interviewed by Alana Rizzo, and that's when he was able to deliver the goods. So, yeah, I've got a clip third of that. By the way, okay, there seemed to be some exception to uh, Madison Bumgarner on that home run. What exactly uh, was the exchange there? What do you think happened? Well, he, uh, you know, I hit the ball, and then he yelled at me. He said, don't watch the ball. You run. Um, and I just responded back, uh, you know, if you want, if you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. <laughs> Did you? Now, your instructions to me were very specific that you wanted Alana Rizzo's laugh in the recording. So I may, I, I hooked you up, Eric. It, uh, it's the best part. Well, it, 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 I don't know if it's the best part of the clip because Muncy's quote was so great. It's an important ingredient. But it, in it's so too. part like, yeah. right. Like that's the whole point of this. Like it's all fun, right? Like it's not, it's like, it was hilarious. Like. She she was taken like aback by the answer clearly, and she just reacted like like a normal human would and laughed, and it was great. Uh, but the quote itself, I will just read it here because I wrote it down. I know I know we all just heard it, but Muncie said, "I hit the ball," and then he yelled at me. He said, "Don't watch the ball, you run." I just responded back, "If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean." <laughs> um. There, there's a lot of things about this uh, that are great. Uh, I know I've seen a lot of people comment like it's not even an ocean out there; it's just the bay. <laughs> like, but I don't. I think that's semantics at this point. He he could have called it a pond. He could have called it anything. He, but he has poetic license. I think he could refer to any body of water, whatever to whatever you want. The whole point of his his sort of thing was if you don't if you don't want me to like watch my home runs don't give up a home run is the the gist of that quote um and it was it was beautiful like uh <laughs> like it, it was just it was great like look madison bumgarner he has a history of sort of being a red ass um and i don't i'm not here to like uh like disparage uh, Bumgarner, I don't think because like I think that's part of the fun too. And a lot of times, like and Bumgarner's kind of said this after the game. I there was a lot of like um, quotes of him that were that were parsed a little bit um, from after the game. I think the one that that got the most play was I, I think from Andy Baggerly uh, tweeted this. Bumgarner said, "I can't even say it with a straight face 
uh, but the more I think about it, I should just let the kids play. And parenthetical here, that's the like MLB like marketing slogan this year. They had a, a bit, uh, commercial at the beginning of the season showing a lot of the young stars. But so back to Bumgarner. Um, but I just I can't. They want to let everybody be themselves, but then let be let me be myself. That's me. It seems like reading that uh, in text, it seems like he's like petulant, right? Like like I I want the right to. I don't want. I, you know, I don't want anyone else to celebrate. I want my uh, being me is like squashing, squashing other people's celebrations. That said, I, I ended up, I finally saw the, the actual, like the video of Bumgarner in the clubhouse. And he was like smiling as he said it. There was no, there was no like, um, like attitude or anything. I, he was having fun with it. And I think that's the general theme of this. And I, I think a lot of the reaction is, is a lot of just Dodgers and Giants people going back and forth going, you suck, that kind of a thing. But, like, um, uh, I think it's part of the game, and it was hilarious. I, that's why. That's what I love about it. Like, the other stuff is ancillary and stupid. Like, uh, Aubrey Huff and um, Jeremy Affelt, both former Giants, both former teammates at Bumgarner, both, like, basically uh, had some variation of, like, Max Muncie, what are you doing? Uh, there's a reason nobody charges Bumgarner, bro. He'll kick your ass, you know? It was that sort of tweet, and like that's just stupid nonsense. But to me, like the fun of it is what made it the quote of the year. Like it's like baseball players expressing um, expressing emotions on the field is great, and that kind of stuff is, makes for a very, especially in a rivalry game, uh, made it very fun. And the, the quote itself is hilarious, and I love every part about it. And I hope everyone else does too. Speaking of fun, how excited are you that we got a you know a quick glimpse of it? Uh, how many puns you get to make over Will Smith joining the major league club? Is it is it too easy for you? Is this fish in a barrel territory where it's just not fun that it's that easy, or are you still relishing this opportunity? I get super excited about it because like well, hey, you just it's overload at some point, right? If you, the more I think, the more you think about it, like there's so many potential like. But then at the same time in my head, I'm like, well, a lot of people are going to be making these. So I don't want to I beat you to the this. punch on this oh, yeah, podcast. You, 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 you machine gun several movies references into a intro. And that was fun. And that was perfect. Like, that's how you do it. Right. Like, uh, but so in my head, I, I try to be like, um, I try to come up with something relatively different or new. Got to go so to the I, deep cuts. Yeah, and I'll, I'll look. I'm I'm not above the the stupid reference dump on. That's how I, I. That's my that's my main bread and butter. Um, but um, uh, like you know, I'll mention you know, oh, like there's a hitch in his delivery, that that kind of thing. Yeah, that it's just stupid, just dumb one one off kind of joke puns. But at the same time, I try to um, be. Uh, as as creative as I can about it and try to go for not the obvious one when it when it seems like there's a lot of people making the obvious one. So it's it offered a little bit of a challenge. The the I the one thing I liked that, that I did the most was the day he was called up, or maybe it was the day before, because um, I think it was on an off day. But um, I I I don't know. I spent like a half an hour looking this up, and I was trying to find the right um, I. I want to do a six degrees of separation thing sure. because I, I we'll thought see. I wanted to work that in too. And I just couldn't. Yeah. Couldn't and so I was thinking, I was thinking six degrees of Kevin Bacon. So I was trying to find a way to link someone to um, 
Will Smith in six degrees. And there was a lot of ways to do it in fewer than six. So I had to sort of find a way to drag it out. And the I found a minor league pitcher whose first name is Donald. I, I think his Ganell is his last name, but his middle name is Sutherland. So Donald Sutherland, parentheses Ganell, was how I sort of framed it. I couldn't find any other like other. I was I was looking for like um, if there was someone like named DJ Jeffrey, that would have been the ultimate. But um, there was not. Um, but. So I, I found a way to link um, this picture to Will Smith in six degrees. And so I just tweeted that out with a picture and then a picture of Donald Sutherland and Will Smith from the movie Six Degrees of Separation. I thought that was funny. It got a, it got like two laughs, which is like normal, which is fine. <laughs> but like I, as long as I make myself laugh, that's usually my sort of <laughs> standard for these. You could do Six Degrees of Kevin Brown. Probably. Oh, like how quick could you get to Will Smith from Kevin Brown? Two? I mean, if we're just, yeah, like, because there's, well, I'm trying to think here now. Um, <laughs> so what's the, I guess, yeah, because you could go, like, Kevin Brown in 03, right, was, uh, who was who was on the 03 Dodgers that was on the 06 Dodgers? Because you just have to link it to Russell Martin. Oh, that's right. Um, <laughs> and just, like, I, I'm not looking this up, but I'm just trying to think in my head. There had to be like a reliever, or someone who was there from 03. But off the I'm top of my head, I'm happy I, can, I, I cannot, I cannot think of uh, a pitcher who lasted. Um, oh, Eric Lowe I can do it in one. Three. I can do it in one. In Dave, one, Dave, Dave Roberts. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> God, you're good. That's really good. That's excellent. I love everything about that. Well, there we go. So. We should talk about the player, not just his name, huh? What? <laughs> uh, made quite the impression in this yeah. is 10 days up. I would say, that, like, the one thing about having the week off, it, it offered a little bit of, like, larger perspective in that we both were, um, if I remember right, weren't we... Hmm. Did, yeah, we recorded before he was actually called up or maybe before yeah the, he was called up later that day so we in between recordings he was both called up and sent back to the winners <laughs> so we got the full like sort of first stint experience um but like it was just like we talked about right with with barnes down they needed someone to sort of take take the load at catcher and yeah, that was play not like 60 percent of the starts roughly right and that was not going to be rocky gale and so that's why they called smith and he performed admirably like um, he did. He started six of the ten games because right, right when Austin Barnes was eligible to return, he did. Uh, Smith. He started six of the games. He hit a walk off home run in one of them. He doubled in his in his debut game, and then he also hit a home run in his last game uh, in Arizona. Uh, so like he did really well. Like you know, what, like what what else do you expect, right? Uh, in, Got some in that compliments short, short from time. Clayton Kershaw and just in general how he sort of his serious demeanor. Oh, right. And like everyone sort of likes how he catches like and they brought him up last September to get him like acclimated with just the clubhouse and the procedure sitting in on the pitcher catcher meetings, that kind of stuff. So he's like as he's a big part of the team, whether he's here or not. Um, but yeah, so he was good. He threw out and we talked about like um, um, minor league stolen bases and other sort of weird sort of translate, but it just seemed like there a lot of people were running on him. But that could also be the running on the pitchers. 
And it sort of proved that, like, he, he threw out two or four runners, but he really threw out two or three because in that last game, um, I forgot who the runner was, but Kenta Maeda was not paying attention. I think it was Maeda. And, like, just completely didn't pay attention to the runner. And and he, he stole second base without a throw. And I think he even stole standing up, which is ridiculous. <laughs> like, But um, so that counts against Will Smith's, like, uh, you know, stolen base stats. But in reality, he threw out two or three runners, which is excellent. So small sample size, obviously. But uh, did he did really well. And, like, he, I don't know what you can expect more of him. And the, the issue, too, is, like, once Barnes came back, they could have carried three catchers because, you know, they used Matt Beatty a lot, starting him and pinch hitting him. Um, but then he went on the DL with a, um, uh, what did he have? Hip flexor. And uh, they could have had three catchers for a temporary time. But I think the thought was they weren't really going to, if Barnes is back, they'll go back to Barnes and Martin. So Smith is basically like a pinch hitting role at that point. Um, and so they'd rather have him playing almost every day in AAA, so I, that's what the reasoning was sort of behind his um, uh, getting sent down. It did allow for Kyle Garlick, who came up in place of Beatty or Beatty. Um, it allowed Kyle Garlick to make his first major league start over the weekend. He actually got a pinch hit double for his first major league hit the day before. So uh, it allowed for that. But, uh, yeah, so Will, Will Smith back in the minors. But I would imagine uh, he's definitely going to be up in September – it, but if they have another t- injury type thing now that he's on the 40 man, I think he, you see him called up uh, whenever they need a catcher. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Real quick. I, I have a question for you about, about Will Smith, but Garlic, how happy are you about the man? You just, you can't. The, the, you this can't is the golden age. It really is. Like it, it's, it's perfect. Like, and again, trying not to like, um, I think my best garlic puns. Okay. So there was two things. He, uh, he had, he had the double, <laughs> he had the double on Saturday. Uh, on Friday night in the ninth inning, the Dodgers lost that game. Uh, but he he came up in the ninth inning and he actually he flew out. And I I tweeted, uh, San Francisco is um, used to garlic fries, not garlic flies. And uh, that that got a little bit of run. That was fun. Uh, but then the best part too was uh, a couple weeks ago when he was in the minors, he made this like ridiculous catch like in foul territory. I think he went over the wall or like over a short wall or something. And um, I think uh, MILB tweeted it out or something. And uh, I just I just tweeted out some, just a dumb joke uh, that just said um, the batter was Doug Vampire. And uh, so that, that got a little uh, fun, fun run as well. But again, 
like I said, stupid humor, that's my game. And uh, having Will Smith and a player named Garlic on the team, uh, it's just it's too much. So. so, With Will Smith, going back real quick, is yep. there a world where outside of injury, Will Smith is the Dodgers' primary catcher this year? I, you would have to have um, – I don't see it. Uh, it would have to have like a horrendous like Austin Barnes slump or – and I'm trying to think like I think they're gonna be make be active like trying to get trade for relievers, but for the life of me, I can't figure out the 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 magnitude of a trade. Not that it's like a blockbuster or anything, but one that would like compel them to trade Austin Barnes to get a reliever like that. I'm having a hard time thinking about that. I mean, it could very well could happen, or you know. But I just I think they're very happy with Barnes catching. Um, and like he's fine offensively, like I think he'll be fine. So I, I don't think they're, I don't think they're going to give that up uh, unless unless it's for some major upgrade. And and I don't know who's out there that would be that kind of a major upgrade. Like maybe if they if they needed a starting pitcher, and one of the bigger names like a Noah Syndergaard or someone like that, you know, came up, um, and and maybe Barnes has to be a part of that deal. Maybe that's the case, but like. Other than that, I, I don't I don't know if I see Barnes getting traded. So, and that's really the only way that um, that that Will Smith would be the regular catcher. I think. Sort of a similar situation with AJ Pollock, uh, maybe close-ish to coming back. In the mean, uh, right before he went on the IL, the big question was, how are the Dodgers going to make sure to get Verdugo playing time? Because right now he's sort of filling in for all the outfield spots uh a lot of center field just because aj pollock would be given a little bit more than regular rest and then that as is often the case with baseball problem quote unquote solved itself when pollock going to the il when pollock coming back uh, dave roberts seems to be adamant that he's getting the starting job back how do you see this playing out with Verdudo? are they just going to get super super creative is this more of an honorific dave roberts is throwing the pollock but he actually might sit more often than he's letting on. Yeah, I, that's what we sort of thought. You know, I, it's going to take a while for for Pollock to get like um, platooned or benched or something. Uh, he's going to get a lot of rope because he's a veteran and like he's 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 not as bad as as I think he was hitting in, in the first uh, month or so. Uh, but yeah, I, it's what we said. Like uh, the quote from Dave Roberts, I was, I was looking at this from the beat writers in um, Arizona because he was asked about. It, he said. Robert said, right now, as we sit here, I expect AJ to play center field. There's something to keeping guys comfortable, and we're definitely fine with AJ there. So um, it'll go back to, like, basically just Verdugo spelling guys. Like, Pollock will still get days off, and, and Verdugo will start. Um, you know, you know, they're not as um, – they're, they're more okay with Verdugo facing lefties, so maybe um, – it, when Jock sits against the lefty, it's not always like Chris Taylor or someone starting in left. Maybe occasionally Verdugo gets that. Or if Bellinger needs a day, or if, like if, if Muncie or Turner need a day, and then Bellinger has to play first, although he really hasn't played first since he since he hurt his shoulder. Uh, maybe Verdugo gets a, a day there. So I think they'll just find a way for him. But and his playing time is going to be With the Dodgers' yeah. flexibility, it's just so easy. You it, like you can almost construct a roster, and I think you can, where you just give one of the regulars a day off You know, every eight days, every nine days, um, and somehow there's a spot that Verdugo can play in. Right, and, and it's like sometimes even more 
uh, with that. So it, it, they could get creative. Like you're right. Like if if almost anyone goes out, it doesn't matter. Uh, like Verdugo could replace them indirectly or you know somehow. Like if Corey Seager went out, um, that, then like Kike could play short. And then they Muncy might put can Mun- play Muncy at second, and then Bellinger at first, and right, then all and of a sudden, <laughs> right. And then so, and, but then you know who? That's just they have a, they have all sorts out, and that's how they sort of built it, which is which is good for them. But yeah, um, so yeah, but I think so. Verdugo's playing time is definitely going to go down, but we're still like, I would imagine a month away, uh, something like that. I think the so the thing with um, you know he's training Pollock, AJ Pollock is training in. in um, at Camelback Ranch. So anytime the team comes through to play the Diamondbacks at Chase Field, the rehabbing guys meet up with the team. They're, they're with the team, like, for the, the series. And that was the case with Pollock. And there was a funny story, I think, Jorge Castillo in the LA Times wrote about it. Uh, first day there, Pollock, who was with the Diamondbacks his whole career, um, he he wasn't – he got lost, like, going to the visitors' clubhouse because he had never been there. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, uh, I thought that was kind of funny, like – and I'll say this, um, I've only covered a few games there, but it is, it's a weird downstairs. Um, it's, it's like a, it's, it's pretty massive. And I, I kind of understand how he got lost. If he, especially if he was used to one way for like seven years or whatever. Um, uh, so it was just kind of funny though, that he, he's been there forever. And then he's like, Oh crap, where am I? You know, that, that kind of a thing. But, um, yeah, so he, um, the update was, he has a catheter like in his elbow. It's it's called a pick line. I forgot exactly what that stands for, but it's supposed to come out of his elbow, quote unquote, soon. And I take that to mean like in the next week or two. Um, but Roberts was even saying like he's going to need forty to fifty like rehab at bats to be ready. Probably some of that's coming at Camelback Ranch, but he'll go on like a minor league rehab assignment too. Um, so I think like it seems like early July is the best bet for him. Uh, so we're still like, uh, uh, almost a month away. So I don't think it's something that we have to necessarily worry about right now. One other injury update we need to go through less, less optimistic, uh, Tony Singrani done for the year. Yeah. And this, this sort of came out in the, in between for us, uh, recording two weeks ago, uh, they, the Dodgers, he was on a rehab assignment and then they shut him down because of his shoulder. And it turns out like he needs to have arthroscopic shoulder on surgery. So he's out for the year. That's unfortunate because, like you said, when he was healthy, like he was one of the Dodgers. He was the Dodgers' like best non-Kenley reliever, uh, and he just hasn't been healthy for like uh, you know a year uh, basically at this point. So uh, it's it's sad, uh, and it really, especially when the the Achilles heel of the team right now, even though they're performing very well, is the bullpen, and they could use all the help they can get, but it's not going to come from Singrani at this point. Before we started recording, you let me know you have two subjects that you have diatribes, rants, soliloquies. I don't know. Uh, you wanted to talk about since the Dodgers had that six game losing streak of which I got a witness in person. That's right. You're welcome. Uh, the Dodgers have been phenomenal, like out of this world, best team in baseball. Good. And still probably not as good as two previous streaks, th- right. two or three previous streaks uh, the Dodgers had over the last couple of seasons. And you wanted to talk about that. Absolutely. So I just want to say, too, you were at the game in St. Louis, the last of the four-game series when they got mm-hmm. swept, and it was the fourth of six straight losses. Um, but you also, not to sell yourself short, you also got to see Walker Bueller's, Walker Bueller's only hit this season. <laughs> it was uh, a good one. So, yeah, it was a home run. Um, but, yeah, so, like, they were they fell to 8-8 eight and eight after that six-game losing streak. 
since then, uh, they're 37 and 13. Like that's dumb. Like that, that's like an NBA record, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a 740 winning percentage. So it's like, you're essentially talking about like a 60 win team. So basically congrats to the Dodgers who are playing like the Raptors right now. Um, uh, but it just it goes to show you how like insane those two two runs they had, and the fact that they had two runs in like a five year span is even more insane. Like uh, we look back at 2013, the Dodgers after that horrific start, right? They were ten games under 500. They were like considering, like they were very close to like firing Don Mattingly, just because they didn't know what else to do. Like they mm-hmm. they were talented but just weren't playing, and then they went on that ridiculous run. And the, so the main part of it was uh, it was they were 42 and eight over 50 games. So at the time, nobody had done that good over 50 games since the 1942 Cardinals. Like, so that's crazy. Like, that's that's like an insanely good streak. Like, and it's look, it's 840 winning percentage. That's even better than like NBA, you know, most NBA teams. Um, and then lo and behold, comes uh, 2017 when the Dodgers actually got off to like a a goodish start. Like they were, they were fine. Right. Like, uh, when their when their sort of streak started, they lost, I think to the nationals and they were 35 and 25. Like that's a perfectly good, like record to have, right? Like in a normal season, you would take sure. that like nine times out of 10. In fact, it's a 90, it's 94 and a half win pace over a full season. So it's like, that's, that's a good team. Right. And then after they went third, after they were 35 and 25, they went, 43 and seven. <laughs> like, uh, so in this, this, they had this ridiculous 42 and eight run that couldn't be topped. And then they topped it and they even extended it to like 52 and nine. Um, but only four teams ever have gone 43 and seven. And the last one before the Dodgers was the 1912 New York Giants. So, like, that, that's crazy. Like, the, that doesn't happen. And, like, I know a lot of people, when the, like, anytime the Dodgers slump, they're like, yeah, what if they can go on this like um, uh, forty-two and eight or forty-three and seven? The the answer is they can't. Like, that's that's we have to appreciate how good like and how like insane it was to be able to witness that because it just doesn't happen in baseball history. Um, and thirty-seven and thirteen is like awesome. Like, but um, it's still like not close to that. <laughs> that's that's what's that's what made those, those runs so good and like. Uh, even if I went a little, uh, even if you just shorten it down a little bit, the Dodgers are 19 and five since May 12th. And that's a 792 winning percentage. So not quite 800. That's still two to three games worse than over 50 games than those streaks. So like, even when they're like as hot as they are, they don't really hold a candle to those streaks. And it's, I think it just goes to show how like um, incredible they were. Well, cheers for good winning. I don't want to say streaks, but winning, winning, winning eras, mini eras. Jeers towards trades. You want you want to talk against trades? Sure. Or people's uh, reaction to trades, I should say. Yeah, I I think it's perfectly normal. So, like the the impetus for this is, um, the Astros on Sunday called up Jordan Alvarez, a twenty one year old out of Cuba. He turns twenty uh, two in July, I believe. Um, and he homered in his first game. He, he led the minors in home runs. He had 23 home runs in AAA, and he's notable from a Dodgers perspective because the Dodgers traded him for Josh Fields, uh, a reliever, in uh, at the trade deadline in 2016. So, it, it, like, 
I, I had my one of my friends from high school who's from Houston. He lives in Houston now again. Uh, and he, he was he texted me like five times yesterday about Jordan Alvarez. <laughs> Most of like, hey, thanks for Jordan Alvarez, like, that kind of a thing. And then he like once he homered, he like, hey, again, what, what a great what a great trade. And like people, uh, I saw a couple headlines like this might be uh, God. One of them was so hyperbolic. I almost like my eyes rolled out of my head. It was so crazy. It was like this could be one of the worst trades in history. It's like really, <laughs> like I, like there's no way. Like first of all, I just want to point this out. Like um, I'm against generally the idea of if you trade anything of value, you fail. Like like I think people have insane expectations on trades. Um, I think the entire point of trades is people. Teams, especially when they're at different levels of competition, like if a team sucks and a team that's competing, they're going for different things. So it's natural for the players you traded to develop at some point and like actually be good one day because that's how baseball works. Like if you can't expect every trade to be like get a super productive player for someone who turns into nothing like that, that is not realistic at all. Um, so I, I'm sort of against that mindset. I think that drives a lot of the, oh, Dodgers really got fleeced, stupid fields, you know, like they, they could add Jordan Alvarez, but like, could they have like, sure, they could have, they, their development system has been fantastic for, you know, pretty much since Andrew Friedman took over. Um, but that said, like when they traded and he was 19, right. Um, he had actually not played for the Dodgers at that point. They just signed him out of Cuba that June, like. He was traded uh, about six weeks after they signed him. That was the end of the international signing period in 2015 and 16 when the Dodgers spent <laughs> like just over 46 million. And then in penalties, they paid another almost 46 million. So they were like right around 92 million in international expenditures back before MLB sort of put the clamps on that. Um, but that was like a way to buy talent. And, like, if you look at it, like, a team with a financial advantage, as the Dodgers have, major market, uh, all sorts of revenue, the awesome TV deal, that kind of a thing, that's what teams should be doing. Like, if you look at it, uh, if you take the player out of it for a second, the Dodgers paid $2 million for Jordan Alvarez, and then they paid another $2 million in penalty because they were over the limit. Um, so they, it was a, he was a $4 million player, and then they, they turned around and sold that for – or traded him for Josh Fields. So – it, they were in need of relief help that that year, as they are every year. Every team is, and um, they basically used their cash advantage to buy a reliever for four million dollars, roughly. Now, look, obviously they traded a player. That's what the Astros got out of it. But it's not like he was destined to become great immediately. Like he was, you know, projectable. But at the same time, he was only nineteen and hadn't played in, in the minors at all. So, like, he developed into what he is now, and it's, like, that happens sometimes. At the same time, the Dodgers, that um, that same signing period, they, they they paid $2 million for Ronnie Brito, an infielder. So, another he's another $4 million player. They they ended up keeping him for a while. They traded him for Russell Martin this winter. He hasn't played uh, – he was 19 at the time of the trade. He hasn't played higher than high A. They traded O'Neill Cruz that same um, – uh, signing period. Uh, they, they got in that same signing period. They traded O'Neill Cruz in 2017 for Tony Watson. Uh, O'Neill Cruz signed for nine, 950000 so he's a $1.9 million player. He he hasn't played player higher than high A, so like 
some players will develop, some players won't. That's sort of the nature of baseball. But the to, the fact that like um, that you can already say this trade is was terrible is ignoring like the facts of it. Like the Dodgers got what they needed. They Josh Fields was a perfectly fine reliever. His ERA was under three. His FIP was was higher than that, but still like very uh, uh, like a normal major league reliever. That said, the the one thing that sort of puts a shine on this is that. <laughs> In like a critical moment, you know, the Dodgers game two loss. Um, there were so many critical moments in that uh, game two loss in 2017. He had arguably like the worst like World Series appearance uh, in franchise history. I was there for that one too. I go to yeah. all the all the greats. <laughs> he came he came in in the tenth inning um, in a you know tie game. The Dodgers they had to, um, and it was only in the in the tenth because. Uh, Kenley Jensen did the save, gave up the home run to Marlon Gonzalez. But the 10th inning tie game, Josh Fields starts the 10th. Home run, home run, rocket double out of the game. <laughs> Miraculously, the Dodgers scored to the bottom of that inning and tied it, but then they lost in the 11th. So that that was like, there's so many like nightmare level things that happened in that game. So Josh Fields, very bad uh, in that sense, but mostly like serviceable, fine reliever. They released him in spring training this year, whether they paid him like a termination fee of his arbitration uh, uh, contract, basically a quarter of it. So like, look, that's the nature of it, but they, they got what they needed out of Josh Fields at the time. And the Astros got what they needed uh, a player to develop and they developed them. So every, not every trade is going to work out your favor. Like look, the Dodgers also traded Chris Taylor for Zach Lee. Right. So like, it's not even that, like, Chris Taylor developed into something he wasn't at the time they traded for him. So you don't get the Dodgers don't get all the credit for that trade. Like they get, they they certainly get credit, but there's, there's a lot more than just the trade itself. It's not like they got fleeced one way or fleeced another team the other way. I don't, I don't think that's the right way to look at trades. And that's mostly what I have a problem with. And if we want the Dodgers to get the quality reliever relievers, we think they're going to probably need to make this big push. They're going to have to give up something of value. And like you said, it might not develop, but we're going to do it again this year, at least once. Right. And, and then they traded, we don't. they traded Devin Smeltzer for uh, Brian Dozier uh, last year. Devin Smeltzer had six scoreless innings in his major league debut this year. I'm not, it's not to say they got fleeced on that deal. I'm just saying like, uh, and or not to say that he's going to be some like great pitcher, but look, the, Players can be good, like and and still, and you know, trade can still serve a purpose. Like both teams should get something out of every trade. Um, it's not it doesn't have to be a winner loser type thing. That that's the whole nature of it. Um, so yeah, I think people. I'd like to have people think about trades not as a one loss, but as a filling needs of, of different needs at the time. Related to this, for uh, I'm going to preview your Dodgers rewind now. I'm looking at all of the players at some point. Deanna Navarro was traded alongside with <laughs> or traded for. We, we've got a who's who's of like mid aughts baseball. It's it's a it's a remarkable um, group. Yeah, he, he was in he was in some crazy trades. No, well, you want to talk about him? Sure. So we're uh, we're going early a little bit early on Dodger rewind because this is my request. Yeah, it's it's probably the most. This is a subject we talked about before. Deanna Navarro was going to be the Dodgers rewind, but this makes this the most like topical and relevant. Like I think Dodgers rewind we've had. So Max Muncy yesterday delivered the quote of the year after a hitting a solo home run to give the Dodgers a one nothing win, and it was a splash hit uh, in San Francisco. So um, Deanna Navarro did that, 
uh, in 2011, his second stint with the Dodgers. Um, it was in a um, it was it was July 20th, uh, 2011. It was a one nothing game, and uh, he was actually. <laughs> We'll get to this in a second, but he was actually released a month later. Like, uh, it's just kind of funny to think about it in that terms. But that year was crazy because so that game was a this was a peak, uh, almost peak because Lincecum Tim Lincecum had won two Cy Youngs already, um, 2008 2009, but he was still really good in 2011. Kershaw was winning his first Cy Young in 2011. Those two faced off um, four times that year. All four were one-run games. Um, the Dodgers won all four. <laughs> it was just like insane luck, so including the one-nothing game. It was um, there was uh, the one-nothing game. The other games, all three other games, were two to one. <laughs> um, Lincecum's ERA in those games was one twenty-nine, and he was zero and three. A reliever got the loss in the other one. Um, Kershaw was four and zero, and his he gave up one earned run. So his ERA was 0. .30, <laughs> like just insanity, right? But um, so uh, the 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 owner of Arrow, like a month later, uh, he was released, uh, and then I was reading back in this because I, I I knew there was something about it and I forgot what it was, but there was um, Don Mattingly at the time called it philosophical differences, and then asked to explain. Don Mattingly is great because. He's like a genuinely like nice person and like he's terrible at lying. And like usually if he's covering for something, he'll eventually say what he wants to say because he can't like hold it in. And, and like and he, he doesn't necessarily mean like ill will about it, but you can always sort of read it either on his face or like how he says it or something. But then asked to, to press like while he it was, I was looking at the L.A. Times uh, from 2011, he said we we just didn't feel like D fit into what we were trying to do. I don't want to badmouth D. This is Dionne Barrow, uh, because I like D. He didn't give us any problems in the locker room, and he didn't cause us any other problems. And then here's where Mattingly reveals himself. But I'm a guy who believes in work. It's very simple. I believe you have to work, work, work. So the obvious implication there is that Dionne Navarro did not work at all. <laughs> he just, uh, and I think um, later, I, I, I didn't see a quote about it, but I believe Don Manley sort of called it physical and mental preparation. <laughs> so that's like, that's as damning as you're ever going to hear Don Manley talk about a player. Um, and even though he was like sort of talking about uh, kid gloves. Um, so that was the end of Deonor Navarro's first tour of duty um, with the Dodgers. His, I mean, his second tour of duty, excuse me. His first tour of duty was like more, much more famous. Like um, he was, he came to the Dodgers in the three-team deal that sent Randy Johnson to the from the Diamondbacks to the Yankees, Navarro from the Yankees to the Dodgers, and Sean Green from the Dodgers to the D-backs. There were a lot more involved in that deal. But if you remember back to that, there was some point where I believe, I believe the Dodgers were going to. I can't remember if they were going to get um, Randy Johnson. Or that, if it was, was another a version of the three team trade, but th there was um, I and I and I actually forget which GM did this, but like Paul D Podesta was accused of like being in over his head that he backed out of a deal or something like that was agreed to, and uh, it, it did not go over well. But they eventually got the a, a deal done, and there was a lot of other players involved. Uh, but Dionne Navarro came to LA in that, um, so. <laughs> 
very like sort of a fan favorite. 2005 was a nightmare season for the Dodgers. They were imploding. Um, he caught a lot uh, uh, later on in the year. And so, and then, so he was um, at some point, he was the number 41 prospect in baseball before 2004. Wasn't quite at that level heading into 2005, but heading into 2006, still relatively young. He and another young guy, Russell Martin, um, were in like a competition. We'll, we'll get to this in a second, but uh, just to cap off Navarro's sort of um, first tenure in LA, he was actually traded in June uh, 2006 for the Immortal, or he was traded with Jay So and Justin Ruggiano, who later came back to the Dodgers, as they all do, um, for Mark Hendrickson and Toby Hall. What that that was the that year where the Basically, the Dodgers were just had a series of trades of Tampa Bay that were just like, all right, cool. Like, it's just kind of fun to look back at now. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No so the Max Muncy thing definitely sort of re reminded you and me on why we want to talk about Dear Navarro. But the first reason why is this sort of cosmic connection between Dear Navarro and current Dodgers backup catcher Russell Martin and um, Kybert Ruiz and Will Smith. I, I'm getting real. I've been getting deja vu feelings this entire time on, well, okay. Will Smith's the first one to be called up, but Kybert Ruiz is supposed to be the better prospect. Is that going to, how is that going to shake? Is it going to look exactly like it did, you know, back in 2005, 2006? Um, we're going to have David Hood on the podcast. He might be able to tell us um, from the prospect perspective, but it really, really struck me of that situation. No, it, it was excellent. Like, I, and like, I'm glad you thought of it because I guess I hadn't made the connection, but you're right. Like, it, it is like a very good parallel. Like, and uh, after you said it, I was like, oh man, like this is perfect. Like, I think it's, I think it completely fits. Like, um, and it was just like fate that um, Muncie did that yesterday and made Navarro relevant to our interests, so we could talk about him even more. But um, I was looking this up, so. Uh, heading into 2006, um, Martin was drafted in 2003. He was a prospect. He was 22 or 23, excuse me. Uh, Navarro was actually still younger. He was 22 at the time. And in spring training, they were competing um, for the starting uh, catching job. Uh, Sandy Alomar uh, Jr. was the Dodgers' backup that year. So they were basically going to go young guy uh, at, the, at the catching spot and whoever won it. Um, Navarro won it. Uh, the job in spring training. So they started off Martin in the minors. It was like understandable. Navarro had caught for the team, like at the end of 2005, so it was like, you know, had some familiarity and Martin was still like a rookie and they wanted to season him a little more um, still, but like a relatively highly rated prospect um, or enough that they were excited about. Um, Navarro was fine actually with the Dodgers, but like he got a, uh, he injured his wrist uh, at the beginning of May and he went on the disabled list and they had to, they brought up Martin to replace him. And then like Martin just kind of took off. Uh, th like, and, do you, and do you was... remember the calls for making Russell Martin, the Dodgers team captain? 
This oh, was, right. This and, was a thing that season. And, and it, yeah, but it came early. Like, um, yes. Like, uh, and the, the, to just put that in perspective, they haven't had an actual team captain since like 1979. I think Davey Lopes was the last one. And he, the Dodgers were like in a struggling year and he gave up his captaincy because he was so like frustrated. I think that year, and I don't think they've had one since. Um, but yeah, it's a weird, like not all teams do it, but it is like an honor, you know, like that certain teams do. Um, but yeah, so the, like he was like from the beginning, like Russell Martin was like, well, this guy's a leader. Like, you know, like he's, he's, <laughs> and even as a rookie, it was like pretty obvious. And so uh, I think that they were like, oh, what we know what we got here. Like, this is our catcher. And it, this goes back to like the old, um, there's the, the, the old phrase of with like, catchers and starting quarterbacks if you have two you have none like um so like it's catching is a weird thing it's hard to do a time split because you're like uh you're dealing with pitchers so there's a little bit of like leadership there um and it's hard to probably do that if you're i'm speaking in total generalities here but it's harder to do that if you're playing, you know, half the time as opposed to like a full time. Not not that backups don't have rank, but they're usually like more veteran and um, have a little more experience, so they can they can deal with playing less, and they have a little more gravitas to their sort of uh, contributions to the team. So it's uh, so the general formula usually is starting catcher and then some sort of veteran backup catcher uh, in a reduced role. It, it's rarely two catchers splitting time. Even when, like, Austin Barnes was was really good, like, in 2017, he was excellent that year. But Yasmani Grandal still started, like, two-thirds of the games. So, like, there was, like, a, uh, a line, a definite line of, like, who's our starting catcher, basically. Um, and although in really slumped, and then, Martin, and then Barnes took over in the, uh, in the playoffs. But uh, the general line of thinking there was, you really can't have – if one guy's your, like, established, like, leader, you're not going to want to have someone competing with him. Again, generalities here, but the bottom line is the Dodgers did end up trading Navarro within uh, less than two months after Martin made his debut. At some point, Navarro came back uh, from his injury, but they, they actually optioned him to the minors. Like, I, he, he didn't play in the majors again until he got traded. Um and so he was traded to Tampa Bay, and then it was basically Martin, and then like I think Alomar got hurt, and then so it was Martin and Toby Hall for the rest of the year. What a what a fun thing! But I was looking at the numbers here. Um, that year, Navarro started twenty three of the first twenty nine games, so they were committed to him as a starter. That's a lot. But then Martin started one hundred and fourteen of the last one thirty three. So like, whoever they picked as their catcher, man, they were that, they were the guy. And um, I think that's the choice they made. Like when we got to get something for this guy because it's not a tenable situation to have two sort of alpha catchers as it were. Um, Navarro ended up making the all-star team with the Rays, so it's not like he was bad, uh, but I think it was a situation they didn't want to have that uh, sort of battle. And I think this is where the relevancy comes in with um, Smith and Ruiz. And I part of the reason I like my just general feeling is that I don't think it'll be that type of a situation necessarily. One is there's like a good age difference between the two like will smith is already 24 um and his birthday is march 28th so i'll always root for him that's my birthday um but like no just in general um 
He's 24. Uh, Kyber is still 20. He doesn't turn 21 until July 20th. So there's more of an age gap there. Um, Kyber's farther along than Smith was, but that's because Smith was drafted out of college. Like, um, so like Smith was still at Louisville at this time when, when he was Kyber's age, where Ruiz is like holding his own in Double A. He's not like lighting the world on fire or anything, but he's like fine. Look, he's a switch hitting catcher with pop and a good arm. So like he's gonna he's he's been rated the higher prospect of the two. I think it's probably more due to his bat, but also like because he plays catcher. And as long as he can like hold his own, that's a very valuable person to have. But I think with Ruiz, like I think his bat is supposed to be good enough, at least in theory, that like if it gets to the point where he comes up and it's a competition between the two, Smith and Ruiz, I think Ruiz is someone where you could play him at first base or, or something like that, like a lot of times to like actually get his bat into the lineup. And then he could still catch like a third of the time. I, this is a speculation. He might grow out of the position. Who knows? But I just, I think that's sort of where they're at. So I don't, I'm not, uh, I think it's, it's a situation that could be, they could work together, but I, I don't think it's something we have to necessarily have to worry about, uh, for the foreseeable future. Like, Smith's on the 40, they're both on the 40 man now. So like both, like they're both probably be up in September. Uh, I would imagine. Um, and what I would say, I would mention about Ruiz, like while, while he's not really hitting, like he hasn't really hit a ton for power, but he still has like 19 walks and 11 strikeouts. So like his, his plate coverage is great. Um, but even with double a, uh, in Tulsa, he's caught 37 games and he's DH 11 times. So like even they're like, they're, they're letting him bat. In, in games where he's not catching. So they like his bat. And I think that's a situation that could possibly uh, happen with the Dodgers. But I'm looking at, he's in double A now. Reasonable. He was, he ended the year last year in double A. So I think it's reasonable that Ruiz will be in triple A at some point this year. Um, and it probably w- will be taught, would be tied to like if Smith got promoted again, if something were to happen. Uh, so maybe that's part of it, or maybe, maybe they, that's what we see. Um, in August or something with the with AAA Oklahoma City, that Smith and Ruiz start to share at catcher, and then maybe we'll see from there if Ruiz plays DH uh, or uh, maybe first base or something on occasion. Maybe we'll see what the plans are if they do have to share at that point. But I think I don't think it's reasonable outside of a September call up to expect Ruiz to be in the majors until like mid next year at best, mid two thousand twenty, and like. He turns 22 in July next year. So, like, even that's, like, a remarkable, like, achievement if he made the majors before he turned 22 or as he turned 22. So, like, that's that's a reasonable assumption for me. And I think by then, like, Will Smith will have more experience and he'll he'll be 25. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily a, a situation that you have to, like, deal one of them right away, especially if Ruiz is bad, it's good enough where he could play other positions. So... And we've seen at times, too, like Will Smith has played third. Not that the Dodgers necessarily want to move all of them around, but if they had to, I think they could play. Uh, I think there's there's room to find for both of them. Not necessarily, you know, to start next season or something, but I think it's something they could definitely work with. And, you know, it may come July 2020. You and I are laughing at this because the Dodgers make some blockbuster deal that had to involve one of them. So Right. Like, who, who like knows? let's let's say um, 
like uh, if like uh, Rich Hill went down or something, and they're not comfortable with Ruiz. I mean, uh, Urias um, starting like the rest of the year, or maybe they don't want to have Stripling. Maybe they want to upgrade a starting pitcher or something at the trade deadline. That puts them in the market for like a, a Noah Syndergaard, and then maybe they have to deal Kyber Ruiz in that deal. That obviously could happen. Uh, you know, so I you have I think everything's in play, and like the, like it gives the Dodgers options, right? Like if if they need some bigger package, Ruiz gives them the sort of cachet to to make that type of a deal, but also it gives them the opportunity to keep him and still have a talented player around who's probably going to be in the majors at some point next year. So uh, the, the, it's a good place to be in, I think, if if, if the Dodgers. Okay, we're running short on time, but we got questions to do. I do have one more note, one quick note on Dionervar. We move on. In 2013, he was the starting catcher for the Toronto Blue Jays, but then was demoted to backup in the offseason when the Blue Jays signed Russell Martin. So Ah, you see? It's perfect. What a Co- life comes full circle. We've got a couple of questions from oh. Sissy. Oh, oh. oh, sorry. Before, before we go into questions, yes. that, more Blue Jays talk. But also, uh, quick, before Blue Jays talk, Russell Martin, uh, John Suhu tweeted out a pic today of uh, Russell Martin and backup catcher Brad Osmus uh, with the Dodgers, I believe, in uh, from 2009 or 10. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then the Dodgers are playing the Angels tonight, and Brad Osmus is managing the Angels, and Martin is on the Dodgers. So it's, Russell Martin is like the link to the past for, <laughs> for so, so many things. But back to the Blue Jays for a second. Um, they signed old friend Edwin Jackson a month ago. Uh, he's made five starts with him. His ERA is eleven ninety. It's not good. Uh, he had a he had a blow up start in Coors uh, where he gave up ten runs in two and a third. So even if you take that start away, his ERA is eight thirty one. Um, he's allowed six runs or more in his last four starts. Opposing batters are hitting three eighty three, four forty two, seven eighty seven. Those are 787 slugging percentage. Cody Bellinger numbers. Yeah, I, my note here is better than Co- Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so, like, but the best part is he's starting, I believe, Wednesday for the Blue Jays. And when asked why Jackson is remaining in the rotation, uh, Charlie Montoya, the manager of the Blue Jays, on Sunday said, quote, we don't have anybody else. <laughs> So if Max Muncy didn't get the quote of the year, that might have been the quote of the year. Um, okay, so now I'm ready for questions. Sorry. Okay. Sissy Tran has a couple of questions. When was the last time a pitcher started on his own bobblehead night? You and I talked about this. We have no clue. Yeah, I don't know how to look this up. It, it's a great question, but like I, I, I wish there was like a database I knew of that had, even if there was, um, it'd be tough to cross-reference like with starts. Like, or I guess you could look up one by one, but... It's kind of uh, hard to do, but I, I just don't know of a database that exists like this. But uh, the reason it was brought up is because Joe Kelly, although not a starter now, um, they signed him in the offseason. He has a bobblehead uh, giveaway on this Thursday, and it's, like, so unfortunate like that because he's been the whipping boy in terms of, like, fan reaction. He's been very bad. He's been better of late, but, like, just generally been bad this year. Uh, I know he had he had a near he almost had a four strikeout inning um, in San Francisco over the weekend, and but the he he had a strikeout and a wild pitch strikeout and then another strikeout, but then the last out of the inning I believe was a flyout, so he he missed history. Um, but yeah, other than that, 
Joe Kelly hasn't been super impressive, but he's still getting a bobblehead. And it'll be interesting to see how the fans react to that, especially if he comes into pitch and doesn't pitch well. But uh, they haven't really been putting him in high leverage situations at all. So I don't think it's going to come to that where the, the worst case scenario is you envision fans throwing the Joe Kelly bobblehead onto the field. <laughs> Pretzel in, in, yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to come to that. Poor Whitey Ford. <laughs> Second question. Speaking of which, what are your thoughts on throwing the ball back? Oh man, um, you can do it at Wrigley. Don't do it anywhere else. That's what, my... what's funny. What's funny on this is that when you said speaking of that, I, I was like, did she send a Whitey Ford question? <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, I, yeah, I think uh, yeah, like I, it, you're right. It's a tradition at Wrigley. Everywhere else, shut your mouth. Like you just or just keep so, the ball. And even at Wrigley, if say either a, if a kid catches this, and this happened at I think Dodger oh, right. Stadium. Uh, a kid catches it or just someone who's like hey this is a really special moment for me maybe it's a member of a fan of the other team uh do not admonish the person for wanting to keep the ball right That's yeah just, just let them um yeah. yeah just like it's it's a souvenir it's a cool souvenir like i i've never got a foul ball or something in a game or a sad like a home run ball uh my friend tom bingham uh, in high school we went to the Dodgers Braves in 91. It was a Friday night um, September game uh, in a pennant race. Um, Ron Gant, uh, he was sitting on 29 home runs and he had 30 steals. He w- he was going to be the, the, the second back-to-back 30-30 player ever. The only other one was Willie Mays. So it was a big deal at the time. And um, we were sitting in the left field pavilion. And he hit a home run right to us. And uh, my friend Tom got his hands on the ball on the fly. We, he didn't bring a glove, but um, was pushed in the back, like, as he was catching it. So he dropped it, and then the ball was, like, in a crazy scrum. And, like, uh, I forgot who got it, but it, was, it wasn't Tom. It wasn't me. But um, so we missed out on a little bit of history there. Uh, but, yeah, if you get a ball, keep it. My, my thing is if I'm at Wrigley or if I'm in a situation where the tradition is to throw it back, I take a I take a ball with me. I sneak it in. I have to if they can't get it back. That way, I throw the bad ball back and I keep the actual ball. Smart, because I'm keeping it. All right, five questions from Craig. I'm gonna do this lightning round style. You ready? Yes. There was a time when I listened to lots of sport sports talk radio. Today, not so much. But I remember calling Chick Hearn on Lakers line and asking <laughs> a question. I don't remember the question, but Chick didn't say it was stupid, so that was a win for me. What are your memories of sports talk radio, and did you have any favorites? So there's a couple things set up. The fact that he brought up Chick Hearn, I remember those post games. Uh, you don't see that a ton these days, where the like the lead announcer is the guy answering questions, like on a post game thing. Although Ross Porter did it for years with the Dodgers, and the thing that stuck, stuck that sticks in my head is Ross was like this very like like a Southern drawl to him a little bit that came out a lot during these questions, but he was very laid back. And he just listened to the person talk, and, and as they're, like, asking him, Ross would be like, mm-hmm, like, <laughs> and he would just, like, sort of hum, like, in the background, so that was cool. Um, for me, I'm the same. Um, I don't really listen to a ton of sports talk radio anymore. I, I really like Ryan Rosillo a lot, and he's probably the only, like, national guy I'll even listen to at this point. Uh, I did listen to sports talk radio for a lot of years. My first exposure to it, I think, was in high school. And I don't even know how I started this, but um, there was a syndicated show that's actually still going. It's called Sports Byline USA, and Ron Barr is the host. He was the host then, and so this was like 
92 to 94 when I was in high school. Um, and then he's still the host now. I would occasionally listen to that like while I was going to sleep or trying to go to sleep or something. But and I, I did call in once. Um, I don't remember what the subject was. I think I made a stupid joke and I was very I was nervous to be on the air. Uh, but yeah, I'm generally not a call in guy, but I, I kind of felt compelled to do it or something at the time. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun, like, um, I liked listening to it. Uh, and that, that's, that, that was probably my first exposure to sports talk radio. What about, what about you? I generally like it until they start taking calls and then too many of yep. the call-ins I, I get mad at. I remember in the Juan Pierre era, people kept asking, why did they just move him to shortstop, the left-handed Stop. Juan Pierre? And it's Ken Levine and Josh Shushan. Yes, Josh Shushan, um, who just like kept taking that question because they loved just pointing out how ridiculous it was. So I, little... I, I oh, go yeah, oh, I see. I really enjoyed the Ken Levine era on Dodger Talk uh, because he's a longtime comedy writer, award-winning a comedy writer, playwright. Uh, True story. He yeah. he credits himself, so uh, I assume it's it's valid for coining the isotopes. Right, uh, yes, in absolutely. the Simpsons, so which is my my bar trivia name. So thank you, thanks, Ken. And it was like, uh, but the point, like he came at it from a funny perspective, and I always appreciated that. Like it was a good contrast because, like, Sushan's very professional, a former reporter. Now he's an announced uh, announcer with the um, with the Isotopes, actually, who are now a Rockies affiliate, but used to be a Dodgers affiliate. But um, yeah, they were they were a great pair. I really enjoyed them together. If you were recording this on Monday, June 10th, we are. Dave Roberts' managerial record is currently 332 and 222. If the Dodgers win tonight, he'd have a a 600 winning percentage. I know Eric has talked about this before, but again, what do you think Roberts' strengths are? And have you noticed anything different in how he is handling this 2019 Dodger team? This meter's been weird for me because I haven't personally been to the stadium a ton. Um, so I don't have as, as good of like perspective on this, at least from what he's been doing this year. I saw some, a little bit in spring training, but I think it's all mostly the same, uh, for him. He's like, I don't know, generally like a pretty good communicator. Like I think people focus a lot on like, um, lineups and X's and O's. He generally plays the right people. Like, um, they, I think the players for the most part, know where they stand with him and i think that's sort of important but he's pretty good at like keeping like um locker room stuff down like like it doesn't really you don't see a ton of that like happening with the dodgers not that it it doesn't happen because it's bound to happen over the course of the season but he's pretty good about like um keeping focus like on the big picture so um and i i mean look it when you he's had as, as good of a run like as you could hope for, like NLCS, World Series, World Series, like in his first two years. So like that, it's a pretty good start. And so he has like a confidence about him. It's not like cockiness necessarily, but I think like the players like trust him. And like, I think uh, the fact that he's earned that uh, is goes a long way. And this gets brought up a lot, um, just, whether it's in newspapers or actually on the air with Joe Davis, but being able to do that with how often the Dodgers change people around and do platoons to just have all the that big buy-in says a lot about him and says a lot about sort of the Dodgers organization and training training organ as a training organization as well. 
that just right. from and an good, organizational level, there's buy-in. Good, good and bad, good or bad. Um, I think it's always like a good thing that the manager and the general manager or the front office or whatever are on the same page. Like, look, it, sometimes it'll be for the wrong reason or something, but I think as long as those those two like factions are working in concert and have a good working relationship, like that's a good foundation. Uh, even if you might not agree with everything they do, because like we saw this, we talked about 2005, that team like imploded uh, and a lot of the, it just got much worse because uh, Jim Tracy and Paul DePodesta like hated each other. And like, they were like openly working against each other. And that's, that's terrible for like a franchise, like that'll set you back. Um, so anytime you can have sort of harmony, I, I know the criticism of Roberts is that he's a puppet. Uh, for, the, for the front office, and he doesn't make the lineups. I don't. That, I think that's absurd. Um, but the fact is, he he does have a relationship. He does. He's sitting on the front lines talking to reporters every day, so he does have to take a lot of the heat for some organization stuff. And that's. But I think that's part of the modern like managerial job these days. So um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But I think Roberts is as good at that as I've seen. Um, so yeah. And he's he's good at like getting uh, getting the message across. I'll say that like not that he's like devious or something, but like uh, I think he's on he's on board with whatever the Dodgers are doing, and I think that comes through with how he sort of carries himself. The Dodgers have twenty six games left until the All Star break. They are forty five and twenty one, which is the best record after sixty six games for the Dodgers, LA Dodgers, I should say. Right now, with an eleven game lead. Tell me the Dodgers' record at the All-Star break and how big or small will their lead be at that time? So, the, okay, I looked this up, and the Dodgers have a very favorable schedule uh, heading into the All-Star break. They played 26 games, like Craig mentioned. This week, they are at the Angels for two and then host the Cubs for four. After that, it's all divisional uh, till the break. So, Not a good division. Twenty, Yeah, yeah exactly. So... I was looking at this. It's seven games with the Rockies, who are the best other team, in my opinion. Um, uh, they had a very terrible start, but they've been great uh, since. Um, so they're going to be the most formidable opponent. But the Dodgers had 17 home games and nine road games. Two of the nine road games are in Anaheim, so not really road games. Like right now, the Dodgers, they came home Sunday night. Um, they, they're going to be in their, their own beds for 14 straight days. So, like, that's always good. The Dodgers are 25-7 and seven at home. That's the best. They're 17 and seven versus the West. That's the best divisional record in the NL. Um, so I was looking at this. Um, I think the Dodgers will go 18 and eight in the 26 games. So that puts them at 63 and 29. And I looked this up. Uh, that's only been topped in franchise history by the 1942 team, which was 65 and 27. And they that team won 104 games back in 154 game schedule, but they, they still didn't go to the World Series because the Cardinals won 106. So bummer for them um but then the 55 dodgers in brooklyn were 63 and 29 and then in 2017 the dodgers were also 63 and 29 but my favorite part about this 2017 the dodgers were 63 and 29 and then right after the or not it wasn't the break necessarily but after the 92nd game they followed that by going 24 and 5 in their next 29 games <laughs> what a ridiculous team that was my god I'm much more bullish than you. I think they'll go uh, 19 wins, so 64 and 28. Much more. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually thinking of this. So, like, uh, there's 
three, uh, yeah, three four-game series and two two-game series. So uh, if they win every series, so three out of four of every four, and if they win uh, both, if they sweep both two-game series, I believe that's a tw- that's twenty and six. Don't don't quote me on this. Uh, it might be nineteen and seven. Uh, but yeah, so like maybe it's twenty and six. But yeah, so. Uh, they're in good shape, uh, I think, with the schedule, uh, at least going into the break. So, oh, yeah, so the lead, they're, what is it, currently 11? 11. Uh, um, 15. Because because they're playing the division, yeah, I think it's, I think, well, they play the Rockies seven times, so maybe they only go four and three against them. But I'll say, I think it's going to be a 14-game lead at the break. 15. Got to be, got to be excited. <laughs> well, it looks like Corey Seager is turning the, the corner, I'm cutting you off, uh, the right. corner on this, on, on his season. Uh, Doc has moved him around the lineup a bit. Where do you see his best spot right now, and will he eventually go back to the number two spot in the lineup? I did some research on this. He has started. He's like played all over, basically like second to sixth. Like he did start at seventh uh, once against the lefty, um, but his most are at second um, twenty times. I do think eventually he ends up back at second. Uh, I was looking at this like um, against righties at least, like. His last seven starts against lefties have been fifth, sixth, or seventh. So uh, earlier in the year, he was like batting second against them and maybe third a couple times. But so my I, my sort of lineup against righties, I think I'd go uh, Jock, Seeger, Turner, Bellinger, Muncie. Um, you know, Muncie's been hitting second a lot, but I think. Um, with his power, like maybe put him behind Bellinger and then like have him drive in some runs that way. But then against lefties, Muncie has more power, and he's actually been hitting lefties well. Seager hasn't been hitting lefties so well, so I would drop him to sixth against lefties. Um, and then so my my lineup against lefties is basically Kike or whoever they have in that sort of other slot, the right-handed leadoff guy. And then Muncie second in this case, then Turner, Bellinger, another right-hander, and then Seeger. So like, that keeps them against lefties from have, having Have you, have you met this player, run. David Freeze? <laughs> no, right, I exactly. Your, so, I think your other right-hander is what I was getting at, yeah. But, yeah, I think it depends. Like, so, like if it's, if it's like, Kike, maybe Kike would have to be in center and Muncie at second. But, yeah, they, they'll, like you said, it, flexibility, it gives them the options. But, yeah, I, I do think Seeger's ultimate place is going to be second in the lineup with Turner third and Bellinger fourth and, like, everything around it uh, figures itself out. But yeah, so but I do think he's going to be in that second slot, but also um, six against lefties. Final question: How uh, describe the best way to construct a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Huh. Um, Smooth was, peanut butter on one side, jelly, preferably a berry on the other side. Put them together, done. Yeah, I my I I can hang with creamy peanut butter, but my favorite is extra crunchy. Weird. Um, I know, uh, but yeah, Craig. I think asked him this too. If you if you do it uh, different, like um, if you spread um, peanut butter and jelly on different bread, and I my first thought was, of course you do. I'm not a savage. Like uh, I I spread peanut butter on one piece of bread, jelly on the other, and then I slam them together like a uh, like a champ. Yeah. Uh, so like yeah, but I American. I don't know. I don't know if there's a reason for this. I tend to do peanut butter first, uh, and then I I know that the the knife gets weird uh, with peanut butter because it sticks to it. Jelly does too, but not so much. But I think it's easier to wipe the the excess peanut butter on the knife onto the other slice of bread 
and then use it. Use I don't I don't use two knives. Uh, I am a Spartan in this scenario. I use the same knife for the jelly after I've uh, red wiped it and then um, put it all together. Well, that's the episode. Jam packed. Jam I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich right now. It does sound pretty so, good. Uh, everyone, I hope you enjoy a peanut butter and jelly sandwich while you're listening to this. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.